Our, top, our topic for this afternoon's class is marriage. So what is marriage? And then how does the code of canon law define marriage? So here we have the definition. It's a matrimonial covenant by which man and woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole of life and which is ordered by its nature to the good of the spouses and the creation and education of offspring. Um, it has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament between the baptized. So that is how the church defines marriage. We say that uh, we have a vocation to marriage. That it is a vocation just as being a priest is a vocation. Or... Uh, being a doctor is a vocation. So there is also a vocation to marriage that is inscribed in the very nature of man and woman as they came from the hand of the creator. So despite the many variations that marriage has undergone over the centuries in different cultures, social structures, there is always present a sense of the greatness of the marital union. So we see in pictures of the tribes um, or of the um, early Filipinos or early Australians or of the Aborigines that when it is a marriage ceremony, um, it is really a grand affair, it is a big deal for the community. So God who created the human person out of love has called us to love. And this is the fundamental and innate vocation of every human being. So we would hear the, the phrase, um, love makes the world go, go round. When I would hear that phrase before, I would think it's very, well, very corny, very sappy. But now as I have moved on in, in age, I realize that it is true. It is love that makes the world go round. We were created by God out of love. And we have been called by God to love not just love um, our spouse, but to love, um, to love our children, to love our, the people that he has placed around us. And Genesis says that man was created in the image and likeness of God, who is love. And God having created man and woman, the mutual love between them becomes the image of the absolute and unfailing love with which God loves man. Choose their wife over the mother or they cleave to their wife. And we, can prepare, we should prepare ourselves for that time. And when they do that, that means you have educated them well. So what did Christ say about marriage? I have here a picture of the wedding feast at Cana. We have here our Lord Jesus Christ and beside him our lady. 
whispering or talking to the servant what to do. We can only surmise that most probably our lady is telling him, do whatever he tells you. And this is the bride and the groom. And these are the jars of wine. And we know the story that Jesus performed his first miracle at the insistence of his mother of turning water into wine. His, he performed his first miracle on the occasion of a wedding feast. In this action of our Lord, a confirmation of the goodness of marriage and an announcement from now on that marriage will be an effective sign of Christ's presence in the world. So the marital union of man and woman is indissoluble. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And then we read this very nice words from St. Cyril. Our Savior went to the wedding feast to make holy the origin of human life. So we go to the next question. What do we mean when we say marriage is a sacrament? We know that sacraments are visible signs of the grace instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. And we also know that the sacrament of marriage is one of the seven sacraments instituted by Christ which when received with the proper dispositions, give the grace, which is a supernatural help to live marriage in a Christian way. Christ has made an unequivocal affirmation of the indissolubility of the marriage bond. So the graces from the crucifixion, when Christ climbed up the cross, and died on the cross, the graces um, are directed to, to, to the spouses through the sacrament of marriage. And this graces helps us to live the demand that we stay together, that the spouses stay together till the end of life. So St. Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Another question that we can ask is how is sacrament of marriage how is sac the sacrament of marriage celebrated So we go to the right no to the sacrament itself we see or we are taught that the spouses themselves the man and the woman confer the sacrament of marriage on each other when they express their consent before a representative of the church. So the, who, who is the minister of the sacrament? The spouses. 
the priest or deacon who attends the celebration of marriage receives the consent of the spouses in the name of the church and gives the church's blessing. So the presence of the minister of the church, the priest or a deacon, and all the other witnesses show visually that marriage is a reality in the community of the church. So since it is a sacrament, spouses must make themselves available, available to receive its graces. And therefore, it is fitting that they prepare themselves well for the celebration of their marriage by leaving the sacrament of penance. Because the grace of our Lord is um, overflowing. But the amount of grace that one receives depends on your capacity to receive, on how big your vessel is. And we improve the capacity of that vessel when we are in the right disposition. And the best way of acquiring this uh, right disposition is going to the sacrament of penance before um, the sacrament of marriage. So in the sacrament, the spouses receive the Holy Spirit as a communion of love from Christ and the church. The Holy Spirit is the seal of the covenant of the spouses, the ever generous source of their love, the strength with which their fidelity is renewed. So it is the Holy Spirit who is, um, who is love who seals the seal of the covenant of the spouses. The Holy Spirit is the source of the love and the source of the strength with which fidelity in marriage is renewed. So another question we can ask is, what is this essential aspect of the marriage right? What is marital consent? So we said before that the ministers or the protagonists of the marriage uh, sacrament are a are the spouses themselves. Then we qualify it further by saying that it is the baptized man and woman free to enter into marriage and who freely express their consent. So it should be a baptized man and woman who are free to enter into marriage and who freely express their consent. Free not to be forced. Well, we, we say, um, I have heard a priest say that if you have a friend who has a child who gets pregnant, out of wedlock, the best advice that you can give that person or that mother is to tell her, do not force your daughter into marriage because that will be a ground for uh, the nullity of the marriage. They would say later on, if things do not go well between the spouses, 
the the woman the wife can ask for an annulment of the marriage based on um, the consent not being free because we can say that there is a psychological pressure on the woman to say yes to give her consent because she doesn't want to be to bring shame maybe to the family or she is um, worried about how her friends or her relatives will look upon the situation. So in that sense, we can say that her consent was not freely given. So the exchange of consent is the indispensable element that makes up marriage. So the consent consists of a human act by which the spouses give and receive each other. I receive you as my wife. The husband says, I receive you as my husband, the, the woman says. So this consent, which unites the spouses to each other, finds it, its fulfillment in the fact that the two become one flesh. So the consent must be an act of the will of each of the contracting parties, free from violence or serious external fear. No human power can replace this consent. If this freedom is lacking, marriage is invalid. And then we can also ask, what are effects of the sacrament of marriage? That bond between the spouses is created when they have given their I do to each other. They give it and they receive it both ways. No, The wife gives her I do to the husband and she also, in a way, receives the I do of the spouse. So they give and receive each other. And this giving and receiving is sealed by God. And this is what we call the bond of marriage. This bond is an irrevocable reality. And the church has no power to overturn this disposition of divine wisdom. So the grace proper to the sacrament of matrimony is destined to perfect the love of the spouses, to strengthen their indissoluble union, by means of this grace, they help each other to sanctify themselves in married life and in the reception and education of children. So Christ is the source of this grace. For just as God once found his people through the, a covenant of love fidelity, so now the Savior of mankind and spouse of the church through the sacrament of matrimony meets Christian spouses. He remains with them. He gives them the strength to follow him by taking up their cross, to rise after their falls, to forgive each other, carry each other's burdens, and to love each other with a supernatural, delicate, and fruitful love. In the joys of love and his family life, 
he gives them already here an anticipated taste of heaven. So we ask this question, can marriage really be lifelong? I have this story of a friend who recently celebrated their 25th wedding anniversary. And one of the, one of the guests who gave a toast said, you now hold silver. I urge you to go for gold. So silver, because silver anniversary, and it didn't, um, <laughs> I didn't get it right away. He said, go for gold, because I associate it with, uh, with the Olympics. Go for gold, or maybe in Milo. But going for gold means to go for 50 years together, because we already given ourselves whole. So how can you ungift and do what you have already given? So it demands indeed solubility and faithfulness in a definitive mutual giving, and it is open to fertility. An authentic love is definitive. It is not something passing. So this unity of marriage, distinctly recognized by our Lord, is made clear in the equal personal dignity with which uh, which must be accorded to man and woman in mutual and unreserved affection. So polygamy is contrary to conjugal love because love should be undivided and exclusive. So we see this, uh, this motive in the fidelity of God to his covenant. So what is this covenant? It's the fidelity of God to his covenant with the people of Israel and the covenant of Christ to his church. So through the sacrament of marriage, the spouses are enabled to represent and witness to this fidelity. A lifelong marriage may seem difficult or may even seem impossible to bind oneself for life to a human being. It is therefore more, all the more important to proclaim the good news that God loves us with a definitive and irrevocable love that the spouse, spouses share in this love which comforts and sustains them and that by their fidelity they become witnesses of God's faithful love. So how should married couples approach having children? Married couples should recognize that children are the most excellent gift of marriage and contribute greatly to the good of their parents. So yes, it's not only the parents who educate their children. The parents also are or grow in virtue because of their children. It is God himself who said, it is not good that man should be alone. And therefore he made woman, a woman for man, 
from the very beginning, wishing to communicate to them a certain special participation in his own creative work. And therefore, he blessed man and woman by saying, be fruitful and multiply. Thus, the true development of conjugal love and the rich family life that flows from it without allowing the other ends of marriage to be postponed produces in the spouses the strength to cooperate with the love of their creator and savior, who through them increases and enriches their own family more and more every day. Parents, we say, are the main and first educators of their children. But we also say that the children are there to perfect the virtues of the parents. So we have to learn to sanctify the home day by day, creating with love an authentic family atmosphere. And this is what marriage is all about. So spouses to whom God has not granted children can nevertheless have a conjugal life full of meaning in both human and Christian terms. Their marriage can radiate the fruitfulness of charity, of hospitality, and of sacrifice. Well, I know of several couples who were not uh, given the grace or the gift of children, but I find it very fitting or I see the hand of God behind the, well, their current situation because most of them found themselves in schools, working in, in schools. They do not have children, but here they are in the field of education having more children than they ever could if God gave them the gift of children. What does the expression domestic church mean? So the Second Vatican Council calls the family the domestic church. So it is an ancient expression. Because within the family, parents must be for their children the first heralds of the faith by word and example. So the home is the first school of Christian life. Here, one learns patience and the joy of work, fraternal love, generous forgiveness, and above all, divine worship through prayer and the offering of one's life. So this is for everybody in the family. It is for the mother, the father, and the children. It's not just the children uh, who learn from the mother and the father. The father and the mother also learn from the children. And, um, and cultivate the virtues that they have and increase it by way of their interaction with their children. This is the last question. Does the church allow spouses to separate? Yes. The church allows the physical separation of the spouses and the end of cohabitation. If the spouses really cannot live together 
or there might be violence against one spouse, then physical separation might be the only answer. However, the spouses do not cease to be husband and wife before God. They may not be living together, but they are still husband and wife before the eyes of God. And these spouses are not free to enter into a new union. So the fact that you are not living together does not give you the license to enter into a new union with another person. So in this difficult situation, the best solution would be, if possible, reconciliation. So the Christian community is called to help these people to live their situation in a Christian way in fidelity to their marriage bond, which remains indissoluble. So they're still bound by the bond of marriage. So we pray for these couples that God grant them the grace of reconciliation in the future. And I end with these words on marriage by Saint Jose Maria. I constantly tell those who have been called by God to form a home, to love one another always, to love each other with the love of their youth. Anyone who thinks that love ends when the worries and difficulties of life brings with it begin has a poor idea of marriage which is a sacrament and an ideal and a vocation. It is precisely then that love grows strong. Torrents of worries and difficulties are incapable of drowning love because people who sacrifice themselves generously together are brought closer by their sacrifice. As scripture says, a host of difficulties, physical and moral, cannot extinguish love. Mm -hmm.